This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. It's Harvey and Chantel producing the program. Get me on Twitter at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. Little Yankees, little Jets so far in the first hour plus of the program. We'll get back to the calls in a sec. Just want to do some Giants here because, well, hey, they got a game this week too. It's game week. And yes, it's a big game. It's an important game. You want to beat the Cowboys. You haven't had a lot of success against this Dallas team, right? You've lost 11 of your last 12. So the incentive is even greater to be able to get off the season on the right foot and do it against a team that not only you're competing with, but a team that you'd like to be able to reverse that trend as to just how you've been playing against them. Look, I think the Cowboys are a winnable game for the Giants coming up on Sunday night. The unfortunate part about it is even if we think we know about these teams a little bit, we truly don't entirely because teams don't play a lot in the preseason. Virtually nothing, right? So it's going to take at least two or three weeks of regular season real games with the players out there for an extended amount of time before we truly understand how they're going to fare. Now, Cowboys are a team that I would put in the category right now of absolutely slam dunk playoff team in the NFC. All right, now – They threw Kellen Moore out the door. He was the scapegoat for the offense. Now Mike McCarthy is going to be the guy calling the plays, his offense. So you got any complaints now? You point the finger at the head coach, putting it on his shoulders. Let's see how it fares. They got a good defense. You know that they have explosive players at the skill positions. We know all about Dak Prescott and the playoffs and these other. I I, I get all that stuff, but this isn't the playoffs. This is week number one. He's got playmakers, right? The offensive line, now that they got Zach Martin back, you feel a lot better about the situation there up front. Defensively, you know, the Cowboys got guys that can get after it, whether it's Demarcus Lawrence, whether it's Micah Parsons, whether it's I like the kid that they drafted in the first round, Smith. He is a a guy who eats up gaps, eats up blocks. Good luck trying to run up the gut against that Cowboy defense this year with that kid there in the middle of it. So Giants are going to have their hands full, but they could win this game. And I'm maybe, I I get the sense, just from hearing different things and and, and talking to different people, I get the sense with the Giants that I might be a little bit more bullish on them than some other people are. You know, that they think they're going to take that proverbial step back this year, right? Because they were ahead of schedule last season. They made the playoffs when nobody expected them to make the playoffs. But that doesn't mean you can't make the playoffs again. And I think that one of the allies that the Giants have working in their favor, as we've discussed, is the fact that the NFC from top to bottom, I don't think is as strong as it needs to be. But it's funny because the Giants really are not getting that respect universally that you would normally expect to be thrown on a team that made the playoffs a season ago. And I think that universally, I I, I think that the people in charge are getting high marks, right? Joe Shane appears to know what the heck he's doing. And I think so far in his year and a half or however long it's been on the job, I think he's made a lot of really good moves. Brian Dayball seems to be a head coach that, all right, you know he's in charge. He projects leadership. I know it's only one year, and you don't want to get too carried away, but I like the direction the Giants are heading. And, and, and furthermore, like, I don't know how many times I could say it. You know what? If you're a Giant fan, you should be excited about the direction this team is headed because it looks like you've got people in place that are running it that know just what the hell they're doing. 
And it's been a while since you've been able to say that. There has been that functional, happy marriage between head coach and general manager. And oh, by the way, they've got some pretty good players too. And they've identified those players and they've already gotten their names on contracts. So that is how you build a football team. That's how you build a sustainable winner in the National Football League. Identify the talent, who those key players are going to be, and make sure you keep them in the building. And I think that Joe Shane has already taken steps to do that. Remember, didn't overpay for Saquon Barkley, giving him what he wanted, despite the fact that he's extremely well-liked and an extremely popular player, did not cower to such things. Still kept it in the proper perspective of, oh, yeah, he's a running back. You know, and I keep bringing up the trade that they made to bring in Isaiah Simmons. And if you play the Connect the Dots game, Kadarius Toney and a seventh-round pick, Joe Shane was able to turn into three starters for this Giants football team. Three. Darren Waller, Trey Hawkins, and Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons will eventually be starting for this football team. That's pretty good value. You took a player who you didn't even select, and a late-round draft choice into three productive players for you? I mean, I don't know what school of roster building y'all went to, but the one I went to says that's pretty damn good value. Really, really, really good. But now you got to go out there and you got to win games. Now, earlier in the show, I think it was Justin in, in, in Tom's River who called up and you know brought up one of these stupid projection things with the computers. What was the guy's – Harvey, do you remember the name that he, he brought up? Was it something Clayton? Uh, Mike Clay. Mike – or Mike Clay. Excuse me, Mike Clay. And look, Mike does a nice job. He, you know, he, he's good at what he does. I just don't necessarily subscribe to all the data and the analytics and, and all those things, especially when it comes to football. So on ESPN.com, there's something called the Football Power Index. Now, I consider myself fairly proficient in math. All right, I, I, I did really well in math. Geometry was the only one that I didn't really get a hang of because I kind of identified it on day one as being stupid. And so I don't think I allowed my brain the ability to incorporate such things all throughout that year. And I'm thinking, this is the math I'm going to have to sit with all year, geometry. So I didn't really get along well with geometry. But everything else I was pretty good with, good with numbers, did well on the SAT in the math section. So I, I get all that stuff, and I have an appreciation for numbers, especially on Fridays. So this ESPN Football Power Index, I don't know what the formula they use to arrive at such conclusions, but they came up with all these different things, a team's percentage of winning the division, team's percent chance to make the playoffs, their projected win total, all these things. And from where I'm standing right now, just glancing over it, I think they did the Giants dirty, to be quite honest with you. I think the Giants are getting the disrespect, not just from media and actual human beings, but now you got computers, which are telling you that the Giants are going to underachieve this year. According to the FPI, they ranked the Giants as 19th in the National Football League. And last time I checked, there's only 32 teams. 19. That's pretty bad. Especially not for a team that made the playoffs last year, won a playoff game. And, and, and I think some of the slaps in the face that you get, they got the New England Patriots at 18, which means ahead of the Giants. Patriots aren't better than Giants. Not even close. 
They've got the Minnesota Vikings at number 16. Minnesota? Team that the Giants beat last year in the playoffs? A Minnesota team which lost a lot of really, really good players in the offseason because of the salary cap that they had to say goodbye to? And you're telling me that they're three places higher than the Giants? No. Denver Broncos at number 14? So the Broncos are five spots better than the Giants? A Broncos team which, yeah, I know they had a horrible season last year, but do you think that just the head coach walking in there is going to cure everything that ails that football team? I really would like to believe it. I really and truly would. But I can't. I really, really can't. So, maybe the Giants are using this as fuel. Maybe the Giants look at this as, you know what? We got a lot of people to prove wrong. A lot of people thought that last year was a fluke. I'm not saying it was a fluke. I'm just saying that it caught us all by surprise. Because I sure as hell didn't expect it. Yeah, I know that the schedule is a little bit trickier, especially right out of the gate for the first five or against teams that made the playoffs last year, even though we don't know if they're going to be good again or not. But on paper, that's what's standing ahead of this giant football team. But I also think on paper, the Giants are a better football team. And a lot of it is going to rely on the quarterback. The team pledged their allegiance to the quarterback and gave him that contract. They paid him like one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. Now he has to reward their faith and go out there and do it. Kenny, I think he can. Because Joe Shane... And the front office went out there and gave him some more pieces to work with, starting with the tight end, who, if he stays on the field, is headed to the Pro Bowl this year. So good of a player he is, and I think that that's how much of a safety valve he is going to be for this quarterback. Daniel Jones, you're talking about a guy who was top five in the NFL last year when throwing to his tight ends. And, oh, by the way, the tight end position last year didn't include a Darren Waller. What say you? 800-919-3776. Talking football when we return. Grasa Show, till the top, right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasa Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. 
Friday to Daniel Jones, and he talks about facing the Cowboys in week one. Yeah, Giants fans are, are passionate, and, and um, like I said, there's a long history, there's a long tradition of these matchups in the NFC East, and the Cowboys is uh, certainly certainly up there. So uh, we understand that, but you know we, we know it's about what we do as a group and, and how we play and uh, making sure we're, we're ready to go Sunday night. And as far as the quarterback is concerned, and by the way, congratulations to the quarterback's alma mater. How about the Dukies last night? Sticking it to the Clemson Tigers. You know, everybody that got tired of Clemson in the college football playoff all those years, well, guess what? You don't have to worry about them there again this year. <laughs> you know? The, it's funny. When you don't have the best quarterback in the country, it's a lot harder to win, isn't it? Asked Dabo Sweeney. You know, no Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence to bail you out. Uh, the head coach is Brian Dayball. Do you think Daniel Jones can pick up where he left off last season? I don't think you can pick up, Tom, where you left off. I think it's a new season, and, you know, we're going to have to do the things we need to do um, leading up to this week. You know, we had a he's had a good training camp, and now we got to, you know, turn the page and, and get here on Dallas, which we've been the last couple of days, and go out there and practice and make sure we correct the things that are going to happen and, you know, ultimately play well and make good decisions and, you know, move the ball down, and that's, you know, that's his role. Um, but he's had a good camp. All right, let's get to the phones here, 800-919-3776. Jets, Giants, football game week. Josh in Jersey up next on 98.7. What's up, Josh? Hey, how you doing, Dan? Uh, Long-time listener. Haven't called in forever because I'm in South Jersey, so as you can imagine. Um, One point that I'd like to bring up is that, um, first off, I'm a Giant. As I can remember, Um, I really do hope that this team does well. However, you know, and this is no mark against Dable because I do think he's a good coach. I think he's uh, a very good presence to have in the locker room and, and, and you know, a good leader. Um, I just I don't believe in Daniel Jones. Um, I know that currently we have the 10th hardest uh, schedule, which even though – and I did see that computer-generated list or whatever that said that we we're 19th or whatever, which I don't believe. But I believe that – I mean – this is going to be a season that it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a test. Last year was a pleasant surprise. Um, if the Giants make the playoffs even at 9-8, and eight, um, I'll take it, and I'll be very, you know, happy about that. But, I, you know, realistically speaking, I think we're going to go 8-9, and nine, if not 8-9, and nine, maybe, uh, you know, 8-10. and 10. Or, I'm sorry, 7-10. Yeah, and 10. I'll tell you this, though, Josh, and Josh, look, that that could be extremely feasible, and I thank you for the phone call, by the way, right? Because things are a little bit more daunting as they appear on paper for the Giants this season. Even though they might be a better team, they could win less games. Like, we've seen countless examples of that. I wouldn't rule out, though, the possibility of even sneaking into the playoffs at 8-9 and nine in the NFC. Seriously, because I, I don't love this conference. I don't. There are only three teams right now that I could bet with my life on the NFC side that are going to the playoffs. And that's Philadelphia, it's San Francisco, and that's Dallas. That is it. Everybody else, it's still wait and see. You know, Seattle had a great season last year, and Pete Alonso just hit one to Roanoke, by the way, uh, out at Nationals Park. So his home run streak continues. Boy, Steve Cohen, get out that checkbook, buddy. Um, Seattle... I don't know if they – everything that people are saying about the Giants, I'm saying the same thing about Seattle. I don't know if they can do that for an encore. I don't know if you're getting that version of Geno Smith two years in a row. I really and truly don't. It wouldn't shock me if they're a playoff team, but I can't sit here and say with certainty that they will be. Right? 
I, I, I believe the NFC South is going to be a one-playoff team division. That'll be the champ. Same thing goes with the NFC North. And so then it's all up for grabs, everybody else. You're talking about Giants, Seattle, Washington. If you could think they could stay in this race. Those other two teams in the NFC West, Arizona is going to be the worst team in the league, and the Rams aren't going to be that far behind. So by, by default, the Giants could find their way into the playoffs, maybe even with eight wins, like Josh just said. They could be an 8-9 football team and be the last wild card. Or if it's not the Giants, then somebody else in the NFC. Let's say hi to um, buh, buh, buh. Drew in Connecticut is up next. Drew, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm super excited about the Jets season this year. Uh, first time in a long time. But I have to say I'm a little bit worried we've got a shaky foundation on the offensive line. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and whether there's anyone we could pick up uh, as a trade feels like we're one tackle injury away from Aaron Rodgers running for his life. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Drew, look, am I going to sit here and tell you that the offensive line is one of the strengths of the football team? I can't say that right now. No, I can't. Because the left tackle hasn't even, well, he's had, what, one practice or close to it so far here since last season. Mekhi Becton hasn't played a full game since the 2020 football season. Okay, so those are your bookends. It's a lot to ask. That's a lot of blind faith you're putting in those two guys. I will say this, though. They're not going to be in the market for anybody else outside the organization or somebody who's on the street. Because remember, the season starts in a couple of weeks. Or a couple of weeks. A couple of days. Anybody who's worth anything right now, as far as a professional football player is concerned, they're on somebody's team. They're on somebody's roster. You know, it's not like there's some hidden gem someplace that nobody knows about that's just like waiting to be gobbled up by an offensive line needy team. What I think is going to happen is if, and I say if, one of the tackles goes down, the guy who's probably going to get kicked out to one of the tackle positions is AVT. And then you would probably slot in either a Wes Schweitzer, maybe even a Joe Tittman at guard. That's what I'm thinking would happen, but in a perfect world, you hope you're not faced with that situation. I think these guys are actually going to hold up pretty well on the outside. If they, meaning if they could play, as long as they're not injured, as long as they are healthy, I think the tackles will play pretty well. Tommy in Connecticut is up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Tommy, how are you? Daniel, good evening. Thomas. So before, before I get to my Giants point, don't you think that of all the divisions, the uh, – the NFC North has got to be the most interesting as far as how it's going to play out. It's interesting because, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, somebody has to win it, and I just don't know who. I, I completely agree. Um, and then as far as the Giants go, you know, I, I love what Shane and Dable are doing together, you know, working cohesively. But looking back on it, so Gettleman – was a terrible GM, but he wasn't a terrible GM by talent evaluation. Evaluation, He was just bad at hiring coaches and making free agent signings. The draft picks were actually pretty good. If you really look back on the foundational pieces that the Giants have and have signed the second contracts, it, it's it's hard to hate the guy, it, but the Boston accent didn't help. <laughs> look, there, there were also several missteps. Several. You know that, Tommy, right? And, I mean, think – Yeah, know, the DeAndre Baker was not a, right. a, a bright spot. Exactly. You know, and, and it's – there was a lot that didn't go right. You know, and there was a lot of people killing him for, you know, taking Daniel Jones for where he took him. And you know what? Hindsight might prove 
that he was wrong on that one because, yes, the Giants gave him a contract extension, but if you really get down to the nitty-gritty of the contract, Tom, it's only essentially a two-year extension because they could get out from that deal after two years. So if he doesn't doesn't wow this year or next year, Giants are going to be in the market for another quarterback. Yeah, you're you're 100 right. It's like the uh, it's like the souped up version of a prove it deal. You yeah, know, it's it's so, almost like a two year franchise tag. Uh, that's essentially what it is. You're 100 right, Dan. Thanks for taking the call, buddy. All right, Tom, you'll be good. Yeah, look, and in a perfect world, if you're the Giants, you hope that he does reward the team for having that faith in him. But you still have to go out there and do it. You have to. 800-919-3776. Here's Subi in Midtown. He's up next here on 98.7. What's up, Subi? Hey, Dan, you were talking about Brady and Rodgers before, and I think the comparisons are there because Brady has a high level of talent, but Rodgers has a little bit more. Now that I was wondering, is uh, Rodgers and the uh, court, um, offensive coordinator, is that going to be a formula for success? equaling championships because I think Rodgers has a lot of, you know, um, you know, he really likes the offensive coordinator, but is the offensive coordinator proven because Hackett obviously failed in Denver. And before that, we don't know if he was championship level uh, coach to begin with. Is that going to be a situation where we're going to see like the Brady McDaniels, uh, uh, Josh McDaniels situation, or is it going to be more, uh, like clutch play calling not coming through uh, in a championship level. That's all I got to say. Po- I mean, possibly. You know what I mean? Look, that is that is a big, big feather in the cap to have Nathaniel Hackett here because he works so well with Aaron Rodgers and vice versa. There's the mutual respect. There's the affinity for one another. And, and most importantly, there's the familiarity with the system. Okay, so they speak the same language. And that's great to have. The question is, though, you need to make sure that you get every other guy on the team and on that offense specifically also speak in that language, hopefully sooner rather than later, right? Because as you've seen in the hard knocks and and, and the the behind-the-scenes stuff here, Rodgers isn't going to sit here and wait around for other people to get on board, right? He's here to win a championship, and he's not going to hold hands and babysit and all this other stuff until they figure it out. No, if you're not figuring it out, they're going to get guys in there who can. And he'll be the first ones to go there and tell the coaches just that, exact thing but to have a guy who has played the position at a high level who's gonna be recharged I think like Brady was alluding to right by that change of scenery it's a perfect fit it's a perfect fit for this football team and I think also for Rodgers to be quite honest 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. More phone calls. We'll squeeze in a little Mets. And about a little tennis as well before we get out of Dodge. Grass until 9 o'clock right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Mets are having their way with the Nationals right now. It's 9-1 in the sixth inning up in D.C. Or down in D.C., I should say. Uh, Alonzo's homered, Nimmo's homered, Lindor's homered, Alvarez is homered. And it's more about Alonzo, um, the conversation, because, you know, I guess it was over the weekend. I don't remember what day it was specifically, but he hit the 40 home run plateau again, right? 40 home runs, 100 RBIs, back-to-back seasons of 40 and 100. He's now got three of those so far in his first five stabs as a big leaguer, and that really has not been done much in Mets history. 
You know, there haven't been many who have done it. And look, when all is said and done, this guy's got a chance. If he could stay healthy, you know, by the way, if they could get his name on a new contract, he might go down as the best everyday player in Met history. Now, I never thought in a million years I'd be saying that about Pete Alonzo. Even when he came up and he hit the 53 home runs as a rookie, you know, he was a guy who had his deficiencies at first base. He wasn't known for the glove. And, you know, maybe he was just going to transition into being a DH, possibly on this level, long term. But, look, he's worked at his craft. I don't think that he's a gold glover by any stretch, but he's not a butcher at first base. And you admire him for that. And then there were all these rumors that were circulating about him being a problem in the clubhouse and they got to get rid of him and the toxicity of it. If you're trying to build an organization into a winner, right, and you're trying to build a culture and some tradition, you have a homegrown player like this. And I understand that the first base position maybe is not as valued as it once was. You know, you talk about some of the elite in baseball, Goldschmidt, Freeman, Olsen. Those guys aren't getting paid to the extent that Alonzo wants to get paid. At least that's what we're hearing. You know, you're not getting $250 million contracts as a first baseman. But his production right now is pretty darn special. And what he's done his first five years in the league is, is crazy. And if you think about it, that 2020 season, which of course everybody was limited to only 60 games, I mean, what would he have done if it was a full season that year? He probably would have hit 40 home runs again if he stayed healthy. He had 16 of them in just 57 games. So he would have probably had another 40 and 100 season. I get that baseball's a business. And, you know, last week we were even talking about it, Don and I, when we were doing the K-Show, how there have been some examples in baseball, you know, in recent years, when you talk about players that, Maybe we're mainstays, and then they left an organization, and the team kept on winning games. Like that Seattle Mariner team in 2001 that won 116 games. Ken Griffey Jr. wasn't on that team. Alex Rodriguez wasn't on that team, right? The Atlanta Braves lost Freddie Freeman. They won 101 games last year, even without him, right? I mean, so sometimes you have to make difficult decisions as an organization and as a front office, but yeah, in a perfect world, I think it's worth the Mets keeping Alonzo, and I hope that they can, but think about the haul you would be able to get in return. Like, look at the mistakes that the Angels made, not trading Otani, and how much of a disaster that's become. You could have got, Otani might have brought you the greatest return that any player has ever brought in terms of trade. And now they take a step back because of it. So the Mets are going to enter the offseason here in a real tricky spot. Do you want to play it out like the Yankees did going into Aaron Judge's walk year where they tried to negotiate even going down to the 11th hour on opening day where you had Brian Cashman go up to the podium and tell the media right as that you know first pitch was happening that, yeah, we tried to get Aaron Judge to a contract, didn't work out, we offered X amount of millions, and he said no. Judge bet on himself. The Yankees kept them, and he went out there and he rewrote the record books at 62 home runs. Now, they were playing with fire a little bit because Judge came this close to signing with the Giants. And then Hal picked up a phone from uh, the side of the road in Italy and was able to work out a deal. Got to love technology, right? But are the Mets willing to go that route? Like, 
you know, they're going to go to the winter meetings, and I'm sure that his name's going to be brought up just like it was at the trade deadline. And what if a team blow the Mets out of the water in terms of a potential package? Do you trade them? Because it doesn't sound like they're getting any closer to being able to bridge that divide between the two sides on a new contract. Like I said, I think it would be awful for the fans, awful for the organization, especially now when you look at somebody like Steve Cohen, who was a fan himself, who was extremely conscious about the history of this franchise. You know, they're retiring numbers left and right, like they're going out of style. And you would think that if Pete Alonso continues in a Met uniform for another five, six years, well, then that number 20 is going to be up in the rafters down the road at City Field as well. So real tricky spot, how this thing is going to play itself out. And, I mean, give the guy credit. He just continues to go out there and rake and rake and rake. The guy with the 42 home runs already, for crying out loud, and over 100 RBIs. Let's say hi to Stevie in New Jersey up next here on 98.7. Steve, how are you? Hey, Dan. I'm doing great. It's great to talk to you. What's up, Steve? So what I wanted to say was that what you're saying is music to my ears as a Mets fan because the popular take, I think, across a lot of the media is we as Mets fans shouldn't believe that we should have nice things. Pete Alonso is a first baseman, and so the only thing for Mets fans to do if we're not horrendous homers is to trade him. And I guess I just don't see how trading Pete Alonso, A, gets us any closer to Steve Cohen's goal of winning in a reasonable horizon. We're already on year three of five, so I think we need Pete Alonso if we're going to make it to a World Series in, in the next three years or so. And, and honestly, as a fan, I'd like to, for once, see us not get religion on Pete Alonso when we've already paid McNeil. And yeah, but you're not, you know I'd what it is, though? But McNeil's two. different, though, Steve. McNeil's contract is very, very affordable. I mean, it was a four-year extension, what was it, for maybe like $60 million or something? Like, that is very, very affordable. That's fair, but but still, if we can if we can find money all over the place, when, when you start looking at, at things, Pete Alonzo feels like the type of player, when you have theoretically unlimited money, that you should be able to find a couple nickels in your couch cushions for if you're Steve Cohen. Steve, I, I don't disagree with you, and I thank you for the phone call. He, here's the question, okay? And thankfully, I don't have to be the one to make this decision. How long do you let it play out? How long do you continue to have conversations about trying to work out a contract before you realize, you know what, we've reached the point of no return, and we're going to try to get something for him in exchange because we're not going to let him walk out the door for nothing? You know, do you do it like the Yankees did with Judge? Are you really willing to take it into next season, his walk year, and maybe let him play out the entire year without a new contract and not trade him even at next year before next year's trade deadline and then let him walk out the door and you get nothing in return? That would be a tough pill to swallow. A very, very tough pill. And, I, and don't tell me about the compensatory draft choice. I, I could give a rat's you-know-what about that. That means nothing for me. Nothing. I'm sure the way... The, the contract talks go are going to be the motivator and the deciding factor as to how much longer he's wearing a Met uniform. And if he's, if he's even going to be on the team going into next season, opening day or spring training. Let's say hi to Lonnie in Harlem up next on 98.7. Hello, Lonnie. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Oh, first of all, what's Harlem shaking, Chantel? How you doing? And my man uh, don't know how to ride a bike, Harvey, over here. 
I mean, come on, Harvey, really? We don't know if he doesn't know how to ride a bike. We just know, apparently, that he doesn't ride bikes often. Nah, it sounds like he don't know how to ride a bike, Dan. Harvey, which one is it? Do you know how to ride a bike? Uh, It's been a long time since I rode one. Well, as the expression that, that goes, like that, that it, means no. Yeah, that, that no, that right? No, because much. Lonnie, the expression goes, it's like riding a bike. So you, even if you haven't ridden exactly. one in a while, you should be able to get on a bike and ride it and remember how to do it. Exactly. Now, I honestly really just call, oh, first of all, of course, shout out to the company. How we doing, family? And um, I really just called in Mayor Quindy to give you some. Uh, how should I say it? Credit mm-hmm. for what happened the other day, and I guess. Mending the fences between, I guess, not really so much the company, but me and TMKS. But I'll, I'll give you the credit as far as if if not for you, technically, I would have never heard that because I wouldn't have been listening to the show. So if you want to take the credit as if if you wasn't on the show, I wouldn't have heard it, then I guess you can say that. But other than that, like I said, you know, I feel like we did a major part. I would say actually the chief of the company, Anthony, did a major part in, um, you know, getting that whole Mark Tesla thing going and everything. So... And I'm glad that everything is, you know, whatever now. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to call and give you the credit that I guess you do deserve. Yes. Because, you know, you sounded like you was questioning if you need, if you if you deserved any the other day. So, obviously, yes, because if you wasn't on the show, more than likely I wouldn't have been listening. And I would have never heard the, 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 the exchange that you and Don had with the whole company thing and everything like that. So, I do appreciate you for that. I appreciate ESPN, obviously. And I appreciate the company. I appreciate all the producers and everything, too. So just wanted to call in and say thank you for that, man, Quimby. Oh, please do not do not take any offense to the picture of <laughs> you as Mayor Quimby, sir. We all know you're a very handsome, tan man. That's right. Did I say the last time? You should not. You, you should not. Uh, uh, I said the, the first lady. And then I said, you you have nothing to worry about because you're a very handsome man yourself. And you said, you, you know what? That's right. I was I was dying in my head when you said that the last time. That's true. Yeah, then, you know. That's true. All right, man. Have a good night. Lonnie, you're the best. Appreciate you as always. See that? I'm keeping the peace. I'm mending fences. I, I, I'm doing it all. I wear a lot of hats. A lot, lot more than I probably even have room for. Commissioner Rob Manfred. Commissioner Rob Manfred, mending the fences, being the peacekeeper for 98.7 ESPN, this radio station, the company, TMKS, they weren't all on the same page. Then I stepped foot in the studio. Now everybody's speaking the same language again. They're singing Kumbaya. That was funny, actually. Yeah, I mean, maybe not my best, but you know what? We're doing what we can. It's off the cuff. It's improv. Uh, Real quick, we got to take a timeout. Can't believe it's our last one of the show. We come back, a couple of tennis thoughts. As the U.S. Open now hits week number two, as we get closer and closer to championship weekend, and a couple of baseball nuggets, and especially one team that is in absolute freefall right now in Major League Baseball. Grass until the top right here on 98.7 ESPN.